Guys, would you grab hold of a Bible and join us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, hopefully you brought a Bible, but if you did not, uh, you, there's Bibles right in front of you, in the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. You're welcome to use an app. If you follow along in a Bible app, that works as well. But here's our encouragement. We really want you to be in the Word of God. This morning, we're continuing a study in 2 Corinthians, moving verse by verse, and yet we're longing that you would hear what God has to say, and so we're longing you would see it and hear it. That's true here in the sanctuary, but if you're joining us in the overflow or online, we're glad. Grab a Bible as well. We're just encouraging you to be in the Word of God this morning in a way that His truth would be known to you. With that in mind, we just want to just long that He would meet us in that. We're working through a section that very specifically deals with spiritual warfare. Though we're moving verse by verse throughout the entire book of 2 Corinthians, we've slowed down to a little bit of a slow crawl for these few verses, hoping it's helpful. But I thought what I'd do right now is just begin by reading that entire section uh, that deals with spiritual warfare, and then we'll take a moment just to pray for that, and then ask that God would draw us into what He has for you and I to hear this morning. But hoping you'd follow along. So there in your Bibles, chapter 10, begin there in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's ask God to help with this. Father, we thank you for this, your word this morning. We approach it and acknowledge your word. God, you said that your word would not return to you void without accomplishing the purpose for which you've sent it. In a very simple way, I approach that, we approach it and say, yes, please. Help us to hear what you're saying, and may your word work in us what you gave it to us for. May today be a space that understanding would be given, that you'd open up our minds to truth. But God, in your perfect way, would you work with us individually, helping us to understand what you're saying to us, bringing it to power and work in our lives by your authority, by your help, that you would speak your work in this moment. Lord, we ask for that, looking to you as the source of that. We pray for that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. That's one of those adages that you probably would recognize well, and sadly for many of us, we're like, I proved it. You know, like I, you know, it sounds really good, and then somehow it doesn't work out that way. Hey, the world works that way, but I want to hone in on one word of that, and that's the word probably. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, but not always. There are some things that sound almost too good to be true, and yet they are true. And yet they're gloriously, wonderfully, amazingly true. If God will help us this morning, if he'll help me to share what is here in this text, if he'll help me to help you see what it is, it will be that. 
it would be one of those places you would look on and say, that almost sounds too good to be true. That almost is, that sounds so amazing, but I want to tell you it is true. And if you can see it this morning, it would be beautiful, desirable, delightful. It would draw you in a way where you would long that it would meet you in this space. You would find yourself craving it, almost like well, almost like a, a little boy or a little girl who's hungry and famished and sitting at the window of a bakery and the fresh bread and the fresh you know, pastries are, are there and just your stomach, like you're just craving what you smell right in front of you. Well, that's what we have in front of us this morning. And if you can see it, it's more than just a good smell. It's a reality that God is offering to you and to me this morning. So what is this amazing thing? Well, it's found in verse 5. In fact, we're only covering half a verse this morning, just the last half of the verse. So why don't you notice it with me? End of verse 5, it says it this way. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what we want to talk about this morning. One more time, just reading it. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what God is offering to us this morning. That's what he's holding out to us. And I want to tell you it's beautiful. And we want to begin by approaching it with even just this understanding that I'm inviting you to believe it. I'm inviting you to believe exactly what he's telling us, that this is what God's wanting to do. This is what's possible in Christ, that he would bring it to this place where every thought could be brought into captivity. You know, sometimes we miss things just because we didn't even know it was possible. Sometimes ignorance really is the thing that robs us of things that would be there for us. Oh, it's probably been that way in your life, right? Sometimes you'd look at something and say, I didn't even know. I had no idea it would be that way. Hey, silly application. You think about it this way. Most of us have one of these phones or spaces. And sometimes maybe somebody's come up to you and they've said, hey, did you ever, do, you, do you use your phone to do that? And you might answer like, I didn't even know it could do that. Like, I didn't even know. Now, here's the silly thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that our devices can do we don't really need. And so, not just saying that, but what if it was something that was so incredibly good? What if it was something that was so powerful and you honestly would be like, I didn't even know. You mean it could do, I, I didn't know it could do that. I didn't know it could be that. I hold to you that that's what's held before us this morning. And for some of you, you were just, I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't really aware that that was possible. So sometimes ignorance is our problem, but more often it is unbelief. More often it's that place that though we read it, we just don't really believe it. Though we can see it and we understand what's there, we're like, well, that'd be nice, but, you know, you know so would a million dollars, you know. So, I mean, just, you know, it would be great, but so would something that's beyond my capability of having, you know, in the midst of it. But God is speaking to us, and we think about what he tells us, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that God's telling us that part of what he's inviting us to do is to believe it because he said it, because he has promised it and there's not anything that he's promised that isn't something that he would make just real if we'd look to him for it, that there would be a space this morning that we're gonna look on something and again, if you can see it, if it's not yet so beautiful to you, I hope it becomes. And then you just recognize, wow, I wanna believe that. I want to believe that this is exactly what God would work into my life. It's exactly what he would bring. 
Well, as we approach that, we want to back up and kind of talk about this whole section one more time, these verses, you know, 3, 4, 5, five and 6, that unpack this reality that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And it is a battle. It's talking about a spiritual war that is a battle for your thoughts. It is a battle for your mind. It is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual war. And once more, we just want to highlight that that's what he's talking about. In fact, why don't you go back? You read it with me just a moment ago, but go back and see it. Verse 3 says it this way. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Quick pause, just making sure you get it. I know that it's not that complicated, but sometimes you just need to say it. What did he just say? You live in a human body. You have a, a flesh. You, you live in this world. We, we, we operate that way. Though we live this way, though we walk in these human bodies, in this human life, that is not our battle. And it's not how we battle. The battle we're fighting is a spiritual battle. Verse 4, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They're not human. They're not of the flesh, but they are mighty in God. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. And the Bible's really clear about this, that there's a war that is affecting our world today. There's a war that is affecting your life. In fact, it is the far greater reality that's affecting our world than anything else. We tell us in Ephesians 6 that, you know, our enemies aren't flesh and blood, but they are this, principalities and powers behind the scenes. They're affecting our world more than politics, more than money, more than anything else. There's a war. And affecting your life, there is a war. And that war is after your thoughts. That war is after the way that you think. Let's just kind of be simple about it. When we think about thoughts, everything you say and everything that you do flows out of what you're thinking. I know that's kind of a simple way to say it, but it's just if you don't catch this, then nothing else is going to make the sense that it is. Everything you say that flows out of your lips, it started somewhere. Now, some, for some of us, it was a really quick journey. Like, we thought it and we said it. You know, like it, was just, it was just like that. But for sometimes, it's like we think about it and it's there and it's there and it's there and it's there and then it comes out. Uh, deeds that we do, things that we do, it begins because we're, we're thinking about doing it. We're, we're contemplating doing it. And, and sometimes that's a long time. But one way or another, what precedes action, what precedes word, is what's happening on the inside in our minds, in our hearts, in our thoughts, and that is the realm of the spiritual battle. That's what the Bible is telling us, that the fight is there. Now, we've talked about this every week since we've been in this, and so hopefully this is just a reminder, but if you can catch this all by itself, it'll change things for you, because I'm convinced that Satan would rather you think about this differently, that when we say there's a spiritual war, for some of us, you know, we just think weird things. I mean, we just kind of slip into kind of like a B-rated horror movie and there's smoke machines, weird lights and, you know, some voodoo doll with a pen in it. And we're like, man, is that how it works? You know, is, is there like something controlling me, some strings being pulled that I don't see? I mean, how do I even fight a battle like that? And I think Satan would like you to think it's that. I think he'd like you to think it's something intangible, something that you couldn't even imagine so that you couldn't even resist what it is. But the Bible tells us that the battle that Satan is waging against you is a battle for your mind. 
that he's working in the concepts and ideas and thoughts that are in our world, and those are shaping us. He gives it to us this way in Ephesians 2. He says, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience." Well, this verse is kind of pulled out of a whole big thing, so quickly understanding, he's talking to believers. He's saying, hey, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, you didn't have life, but now you're alive. Now you're alive in Christ, and you used to be subject to this world. You used to live in this world. You used to walk according to the course of this world. It's a pretty powerful description, course of this world. Maybe imagine it this way. Imagine it like a raging river, a a river that is flowing, not of water, but of time and thoughts that are moving in our world. And there's a a whole flow uh, of ideas and concepts that affect how people think, but here's what he's telling us. This is not random. That's just not human. It's not just that we just happen to think it up. No, that's what the devil's doing, the prince of the power of the air who's working that, who's seeking to shape our world by shaping the way we think, by, by concepts and ideas, and, and he's doing so by lying to us. Yeah, that's what Jesus said when he talks about the devil. He says, the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it out of his own resources, for he is a liar, and he is the father of it. He's the father of lies. That's the battle. That's the battle that broke the world. You go back to Genesis and you see Adam and Eve, and if you watch the whole thing, how did Satan tempt? How did he mess them up? He lied to them. He lied to them. He presented a whole different worldview. He presented different concepts that drew, and it was a lie, and that is what he does today. So that battle that you and I are facing, it is this. It is a battle for truth. It is a battle for the way you think. Satan knows it. Satan knows it, and so he's working it. You're invited to see it as well, that you would understand, okay, there's a war. It's a war for how I think, how I see the world, how I see God, how I see eternity, how I see me. And, and, And those concepts wrongly believed, they'll shape my life. They'll move me away from what God has. And so the battle is being fought for how you think. The battle is being fought for what's happening on the inside. Just getting that would be so helpful. But here's where it gets even better. God, give me grace to help it make it clear. The work that God is seeking to do inside of you is real, internal transformation. It is not fake, external manipulation, which is ultimately hypocrisy. That's a mouthful, but it's really important that you get it. What God is seeking to do inside you is real. It is real, and it's on the inside, and it would change you from the inside out. It's not fake. It's not pressure from the outside that would make you look different than you are, which is ultimately what we call hypocrisy, which most of us hate. We need to make sure we understand this, and so if you're taking notes... I want you to write down Romans 12, 1 and 2 there. If you you keep notes in your Bible, write down Romans 12, 1 and 2, because that's one of the key verses that will help you understand what we're talking about here. I'll put it up on the screen, though. 
So in verse 1 of Romans 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. To talk about this, we need to reorient ourselves. Reorient ourselves for a moment where this is in Romans, but honestly, reorient ourselves in the whole work of God in our lives. We look at this verse in Romans 12, and it's important to understand this is chapter 12 on the, and the heels of an incredibly powerful first 11 chapters of the book of Romans that unpack the incredible richness of our salvation. If you know the book of Romans, it's one that begins in the first three chapters to just lock it down that there's no one righteous. No, not one. We are all broken. We are all sinners. Nobody's making this on our own. Nobody can get there on our own. How do we, how do we deal with that? By faith. By faith in the Son of God, by faith in Christ, who we believe in Him, and He saves us and changes us. I mean, that's being unpacked through the entire first half of the book of Romans. I want to give it to you in a, in a couple of verses that are found in the book of Ephesians that say the same, but maybe in such a simple way that could just help us make sure we're understanding this morning. So in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says it this way, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody can save themselves. And the only way to be saved is by grace. This is important because we're going to be talking this morning about this internal transformation that God does in the work and the lives of those who are His, who've come to faith in Christ. We're going to be talking about this incredible thing that God does inside the hearts of those who are His kids, but it's going to be really important that you understand we're talking about those who are already His kids. Uh, that are already there. This is not how you get saved. You could not save yourself this way. We're not holding out to you something like, hey, if you do this, you too can be a good person. Like, that doesn't work for anybody. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, then we just want to be very clear and say the only way to be saved is by grace. It is through the gift of God. It is through believing in Jesus. It is that God loved the world, gave us his son, and by grace, we've been saved. Believing through faith, it's not us. It's a gift. It's nothing you can do. It's not any of your works. It, there's not anything that you could boast about. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to begin there. And we plead with you to begin there, to believe upon God, to receive his gift and be changed. Because works can't do it. There's not anything you can do to earn it. But what I love about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is it's followed by Ephesians 2, 10 that says it this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I hope that's clear. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do. He saves you. But if you're saved... Now you become his workmanship. Understand that word workmanship as his personal project. He's taken you on and said, you know what? Now, now you're mine. Now, now you're my kid. Now you're my child. And I am going to help. I'm going to fashion you and I'm going to shape you. And I'm going to help you do good works, not to get saved, not to earn your salvation, but because you're saved, he's going to help us change our lives. He's going to help us become what he has us to be that is glorious. It's not a way we earn our salvation. It's a way we respond 
to our salvation. I hope that makes sense because that's what we need to understand here because that's what Romans 12 is. On the heels of this incredible richness of our salvation, he's saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of how good God is to us, because of grace, because of the, the wonder in Christ, give yourself to him. Give yourself to him. Like, okay, God, you saved me. Now I want to surrender my life to you as a living sacrifice. He tells us that's really good. And then he gives it to us this way. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This verse is one that is a mirror of, if he, of what we're talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this idea of taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're talking about the same thing with different words. So let's just think about what's being said here in Romans. He says, I don't want you to be conformed. I don't want you to be conformed to this world. That word conformed is a powerful word. It has the idea of being pressed into a mold, like pressure happening from the outside that is squeezing and trying to make you something by squeezing you from the outside. In the back of my mind, I'm just thinking about those like Play-Doh things that my kids used to play with. I don't know if they still do those anymore. You have Play-Doh and you have these molds that you kind of squeeze it in to, to try to shape it to look like something. It's pressure from the outside. He says, that's the way the world works. That's how the world seeks to bring about transformation. And I don't want to say that as an altogether bad thing. Like in the world, that's all the world can do. We talked about it two weeks ago when we talked about the weapons of our warfare. And we highlighted that he's telling us that the weapons of our warfare, they're not the way the world does it. They're not carnal. And it's the way the world makes change. So if you're a boss this morning, if you're a supervisor, you understand you supervisor, you are in charge of employees that you have the opportunity to shape their behavior. And, and you need to if you're a good boss. So if you have an employee that's, you know, always coming in late and tardy all the time, you can begin to try to shape them by disciplining them from the outside. You begin kind of warning them and then maybe you write them up and you begin telling them like, hey, you're only going to be able to be late this many times and I'm going to have to bring you know, some kind of disciplinary action. Or maybe you kind of try to incentivize them and say, if you'll come in five times on time, I'll give you a donut. You know, I, I don't know what you'll do. I mean, but you're going to try to do something that would say, if you'll do what I want you to do, I, it'll, it'll help you. But here's the thing, that's external pressure. What you can't do as a supervisor or a boss is change who they are. What you would really love to be able to do is, I would love to change your heart where you do what you should do because it's right to do it, because it's the right thing, because, because it's the right thing to be a person of your word, because it's a right thing to be faithful. You just can't do that. That's the way, so in the world, all you can do is shape behavior, not bad in the world. But in Christ, that's not how we do it. That's not the way the church works. That's not the work that God wants to do in you. He says, I don't want you to be conformed. I don't want you to be pressed from the outside. He says, instead, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want you to be changed transformed. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, has the idea of being literally the inside flowing into the out. I mean, you're being transformed by, by, by what's happening on the inside. He says, I want you to be changed from the inside out. 
so that your, your mind is being changed. I like that. I like even what it is, but I like the way the New Living Translation renders this verse or that part of it. He says it this way, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're talking about changing the way you think. That's amazing. This is really, really beautiful. This is really, really good. This is really, really glorious. If you could see this, this is the work that God's wanting to do in your life, and that's what he's fighting for. That's what he's fighting for. That's what he's inviting you and I to fight for is real. Like, okay, God, I want that. I want, I want this work that is that. It is a battle for our thoughts. Well, in context, again, so we understand it's a war. Last week, we talked about part of that war is a spiritual demolition, a space where wrong things have to be exposed, that wrong thinking, wrong ideas, wrong concepts uh, are exposed by God. If you missed that message last week, well, we just want to invite you. It's online. It's on our YouTube. You can get it on our church website, be able to follow it. But we pointed out that he highlights three things that have to come down. Let's just read it in the text, and then we'll quickly talk about it. It says in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Three things that he says that would poison your mind, that would mess you up. There are just strongholds. There are places where our soul is barricaded against God. He's going to expose it and point it out and say, that has to come down. That can't be there. That's wrong thinking. That's a wrong idea that traps you into lies. Then there's just the arguments. There are things that just false beliefs that shape the way you think and the way you process life. Those need to be exposed. And then there's arrogance, high things, pride, that is so much of our problem. So here's what we, we talked about last week. All of these things have to be exposed, and God does this. God does this in our life where he brings to light those things that are wrong, those things that are against what he has for us, and we need to know that in order to get where we are this morning. Because we're going to be talking about taking every thought captive. The thoughts that they, when they pop up, we're going to deal with them. And to kind of put it to you in a simple way, you can't do that unless you already know the thought is wrong. You're not going to be able to capture a thought that's wrong until you already know it's wrong. And, and the way you know that is through that spiritual demolition where God brings his truth to bear on your life and just says, you're wrong. You're wrong the way you see this. You're wrong the way you're processing it. Uh, what you think is wrong. And his truth gloriously, wonderfully does that. So again, we talked about that last week. And you might want to just go back and catch it if you need it. But it's important. And God is faithful how he does this. God is faithful in how he does this. That for most of us, the way he does it is he, just one thing at a time, is, is just highlighting things that are wrong, bringing us to an understanding of what that is so that we can see it and we're like, okay, so that's wrong. Like that's a, that's a wrong thought. That's a wrong idea. My, my, my brain's not going in the right direction. You need that. Because if you can get there, then you can get here, which is, he says, now capture it. Catch that thought. I want you to capture that thought right as it's there. You're going to take captive every thought under the obedience of Christ. 
It's probably kind of simple. I mean, in one sense, I don't think this takes a ton of explanation, but I just want to make sure that we're thinking this through. When we're thinking about this, the idea is not to let those wrong ideas just stay. Not just to let them, you know, kind of hang out inside your brain uh, with some kind of space of saying, well, you know, I'm not acting on them. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying it. You know, I'm not doing it. But I have a wrong idea or I have something that says, when it's wrong, catch it. Catch that thing right when it's wrong. You're going to try to fight the battle with sin and, and fight the battle for doing right at the very origin space. And here's what's exciting. You can. Like you really can. That he's inviting us to say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fight that battle there that you're going to try to deal with stuff at the very beginning long before it ever becomes that word or that action. If we had time, we'd talk about it in more detail, but Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you know the Sermon on the Mount, just there at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, kind of a declaration in many ways of his kingdom. And in the midst of that message, he'll say things like, hey, you've heard it said, you know, uh, that you shouldn't commit murder. But I say to you, I, I want to catch every evil thought. I want to catch every, every angry word. I don't want to just stop at the not doing, you know, the, the horrible thing. I want to catch it back at the very origin. See, so you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I want to deal with the lustful thought long before it ever gets there. Hey, you've heard it said, keep your oaths. But he says, I want to make you a truthful person. So at the very outset, the very beginning of this space inside of you, it would affect what you do because you're not just dealing with the product of the thoughts, you're dealing with the thoughts themselves. And I want you to catch that this is what Jesus is doing, that this is the battle that he wants to fight. This is where he's inviting you to go. So maybe I just say it this way. I just want to invite you to try it. I feel like I should say it better than this. Like I should somehow, you know, make this like really powerful and profound. But I just want to hold it out to you and say, did you know this is possible? Have you tried it? This is more than some psychological, you know, mumbo jumbo. It's not that all of that's bad in the world. In Christ, we have power that some of us didn't even know that was really there. Can I just be honest with you? This really caught me this year in a fresh way. I was thinking this through. It probably was nine months ago, maybe longer. Um, God was doing a work in my life, and I kind of thought we were going in one direction. He went in a different direction, and partly it was this thought. And I found myself just thinking about it, thinking, huh, you know, I just want to try to, I mean, what would that look like if I actually did that? And so I, you know, in in a space of time, just every time my thoughts started going wrong, I just thought, let's just capture that thought. And again, I'm trying to be honest with you and a little bit transparent. It was surprising. You know, you actually can you know, like in Christ, you could actually, you know, that you recognize a wrong thought, and you can go, no, no, God, let's grab that thought, <laughs> like right now, let's just, let's just stop this in its track, and it was glorious, he's like, my goodness, why do I let him stay so long, like why did I let, you know, why am I not dealing with this at its origin, why do I let it stay longer than it ought to stay, you know, just so that I'm not doing the wrong thing, but if I could go back, and it was surprising to me, in a gloriously good way. Not that I'm certainly arrived at it in any space, but I loved that thought, and I want to give it to you in a way that would say that this is what we should do. We should be praying for this. We should be seeking this in ourselves and in others. I quickly highlight that when we think about spiritual warfare, we're talking about the war in our lives and in the war of other people's lives. That's context. When Paul's talking about fighting the spiritual battle, he's not just talking about grabbing his own thoughts. He's talking about the church there 
And he's saying, I'm going to come and wage war to try to capture your thoughts through the obedience of Christ. So when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about us, but other people that we love. Like, we don't want to just, you know, manipulate them into looking good. You know, we don't want to just, like, could you just come to church and pretend to be good? You know, so that people think you are? You know, wouldn't that be great? No, it was like, I really want them to want to. I really want them to love God. For, I, mean, I want them to do the right thing, not just for, you know, external kind of things. I would love to see real things happen on the inside. And so we began to say, God, I want to pray for that in them and us. But track with me, because if we're going to do that, if we're going to capture our thoughts, not only do we have to recognize that the thought is wrong, we have to take that thought captive. And I will hold out to you right now that I believe that the way that we do that is through the Word of God. That it is the Word of God that actually is that. That when we recognize the thing that's wrong, we are to bring God's Word to bear on that because it's God's Word that does this reality. It's God's Word that changes the way we think. So again, if you're taking notes or you're writing it even in the, in the, in the margin of your Bible, I hope you wrote down Romans 12. Verse 2 especially, because it really helps us understand taking captive our thoughts. But then I also want you to write down Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It says it this way. It says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Track this through for a moment. This book... The Bible, it's alive. It's not a dead book. God himself has, has spoken life into it, so there's nothing else like this. There's nothing, no other written material in the world that could be anywhere close to this. This is alive. This, this, is, this is the word of God, and it's alive, and it's powerful. It's powerful. It's, it, it, it is powerful to do things that nothing else can. The word of God itself has power that can affect and change things. Where does it change it? Between the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, down to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Where is this seeking to change you? In the way that you think. This book is saying, I want, I want to affect the way you think. I want to get down to the origin of what you say, the origin of what you do, and God's word is seeking to change you there. That it's seeking to do a work, not just to conform you. This book doesn't do it. This book isn't about making you a hypocrite. It's not just trying to make you look good. God is in the business of changing you from the inside out, and his word does that. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said it this way. He said to those who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Speaks to those who are his, to those who believe in him. He says, here's what you need. You need to stay in this book. You need to abide in my word. You need to be in my word because if you do that, you'll really be my followers. It'll help you to really follow me and you'll know it. And this truth will set you free. This truth, this book will radically affect the way that you live. We're called to let this truth be the thing that our mind locks on in those moments, that we believe his truth over the lies that are present in our lives. Think about it this way. For, it, it's kind of a corollary, but just found myself as I was preparing it, knowing I was supposed to share this verse uh, where it just simply says it in Philippians, whatever things are true, 
whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. This is where you want to lock your brain. This is where you want to latch on to and say, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that in this moment. I, I'm holding fast to his gloriously good truth. That's what he's inviting you to do. So let's be practical. God's doing a work inside of you. You're struggling with things. Everybody in this room is. There's not anybody in this room that's like, man, that's really funny that you guys struggle in your brain. I don't. <laughs> kind of funny deal. No, all of us do. Like our thoughts go wrong. I mean, we brokenness of this world, brokenness in us. But here's the thing. As you recognize the thing that God is working in your life, you should find. You should ask God. Find others to do it. Find the verses that deal with the thing that you're struggling with. You should memorize it or write it down so that you have it, so that that truth would come to bear in the battle in your life. I think about how, you know, just that understanding that we would think about what that would look like. It would be that his word that would counter the very things that have us locked down. It tells us in Psalms, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's just, that's what he's saying. He says, I don't want to do the wrong thing. So it's going to be God's word that would help us to do that. It would be God's word that would be that, that would strengthen us in this spiritual war for our thoughts. Again, if we had lots of time, we'd spend more time on it, but I'll just give it to you briefly. That's how Jesus did it. That's how Jesus fought the battle. Yet Jesus comes into this world and he comes in to be fully human tells us in Hebrews that he is, in Hebrews he is tempted in every way that we are, yet he never sins. He never falls to the temptations. He never falls to the lies. How does he do that? Well, one of the ways he does it is by holding fast to the truth. So you get it given to us like in Matthew 4, where it pictures Satan coming to tempt Jesus. And he tempts him three times to sin. And Jesus responds every time. It is written. Every time that Satan brings a lie, Jesus brought the truth. And he holds out and holds fast to the word of God. If that's how Jesus did it, that's how we ought to do it. I mean, that's how we ought to do it. I think about it this way. Kent Hughes put it better than I could. He says, may the lesson not be wasted. Christ, the divine man in battling Satan while here on earth, did so with the sword of the word. How much more? Do we frail men and women need to wield the same sword if we are to be victorious? If Christ, in his perfection, fought against the lies with the truth of God's word, what would make you think that you don't need it? What would make us think, well, I'm just going to buckle down and be just really... You, you need truth. You need to hold to God's truth. You need to believe that. You need to catch those thoughts and bring God's word to bear that would defeat those lies. I find myself wishing that we could just spend a lot of time right now and just try to walk around this room in the different ways it's happening. I don't have time to do all of that, but let me just briefly just tell you, I don't know what it is you're struggling with, but you need to do this. Maybe you're here, and the thing that you're struggling with right now is we have some in our fellowship. You're struggling with self-harm, quite honestly, even suicidal thoughts. It's not uncommon 
Just in case you just, you didn't know that, I'm just calling it out and saying, it's true. Now, you might sit here and go, but Jim, I never do it. I mean, I've thought about it, you know, hundreds of times. I've never actually done it. I'm still sitting here. I understand. But you've allowed it to stay there. You've allowed it to stay there. Here's what you need to do. As soon as that thought comes to mind, a thought of hurting yourself or a thought of taking your life, the moment it pops in there, you need to grab it and say, no, this is not true. That's not right. And then bring in God's word. Maybe you'd bring in John 10, 10. Hey, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But Christ came to give me life and life abundantly. You're lying. That's not what Jesus has for me. And you hold truth into that. And then you're going to say, I'm going to hold that in this moment. And I just want to challenge you to do it. And I want to tell you, you'll find something. You'll be like, wow, the lie just evaporated. I mean, the thing that was moving me that might have done something, I just grabbed it and replaced it with truth. And I'm going to do that. Maybe it's a lustful thought. And you think, well, Jim, I don't actually ever do it. But deal with it at the very root of it. Deal with it at the moment it comes up and say, no, Lord, I'm going to capture my eyes. I'm, you know, that God, you, you promised to never let me be tempted beyond. Let, give me a way out, whatever that thought would be. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness that you're struggling with here this morning. And I'm just telling you, you've got to bring God's truth. Maybe you've been hurt really, really badly and, uh, you know, unforgiveness just works against you. You need to defeat it with truth. First of all, believing that Jesus did. Like he called us to forgive other peoples as we've been forgiven. That demolition needs to happen and then you just need to deal with it every time. Every time that thought comes in there and you start rehearsing what you, the wounds that somebody's done for you or the things, you need to grab it and say, no, I, I, you know, I'm forgiven as I'm forgiving as I've been forgiven. You know, I'm going to walk in, and you bring God's truth into that moment. That's what he's telling you to do. He's telling you that's the battle you can fight. That's the way this works, and that's the way it can be victorious. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe I'm telling you this right now. You're like, well, Jim, of course. Like, of course I'm doing that. But I'm just thinking for some of us, we are not. Uh, we, if we're fighting sin, we're fighting it way down the line. We're, we're fighting it, you know, like, you know, I have all these thoughts inside of me and I'm not letting them come out. You know, like, like I don't actually say what I'm thinking. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about murdering all of you and I'm mean, no, no, just kidding. Not really, it's, nobody record that and turn me in or something. I don't know. But no, that's not actually there. But if some of us like, well, I, but we could actually begin way back in the midst of it. Say, no, I dealt with that at the very outset. Like the thought came up and I said, no, you're wrong. That's a lie. That's not true. That, that's of the devil. That's of the world. Here's what God says about it. And I want to tell you, God's word is powerful. This isn't just some kind of, you know, mumbo. God's word can change you so that not only is his truth confronting the lie, his word will change the way you think because his word is powerful to do that. His word is powerful to change who you are. And I'm just inviting you to do it. You know, maybe you're sitting there going, Jim, I don't know. I don't know if that would really work for me. Well, how about you try it? How about you say, okay, let's just, let's, just, let's just try it some this week. Like, I'm just, God, help me to see it. If, help me just, you know, the, some of the thoughts that God's working on. He's gracious. He's not dealing with 100,000 things right now in your life. He's good that way, but he's working at least on one. And he's trying to fix something in your life. He's trying to change something that you're thinking. What if you just said, okay, God, let's do it. Let's capture the thought. The moment it starts going wrong, let's turn it right. Let's turn it right. Let's just, let's bring your truth. And I just invite you to find out that it's better than you've ever imagined. It is better. It's more glorious and, and more beautiful than we could even say. It does more than we could ever imagine. It is 
certainly that. Well, let me give you two more quick things and then we'll wind it up this morning and close in prayer. So we're thinking about everything we've said. Part of it is you just need to believe it. You just need to believe it. This is possible for you. This is possible in your life. We are fighting a battle for your thoughts. You need to expose the lies and then catch them. Catch the the, the thoughts that are wrong. Bring them captive to the word of God. As you do that, two things I want you to understand, we need to grow in this. Has the idea that we're bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ and maybe this will make sense right off the bat. We need to talk about it more. We will next week, but I just want to be clear. And I want you walking out of here and trying to do this this week and being like, well, I tried it, it didn't work. You know, I mean, it's, you know, as, as if somehow you're going to have this solved by Friday. No, this actually is the process of sanctification. This is the place that God is changing us more into Christ. This is the battle that you're going to fight every day of your life until we see Jesus. So I don't want you to have this understanding like, totally done it. I've brought every thought into captivity. No, we haven't. I mean, you might bring a few, and, and it's like, I just want to bring more. I just want to bring a few more, and I just want to bring a few more. I want to be keep changing. I want him to change me into this new person by changing the way I think. This is that invitation to this, but it's a good invitation. It's a process in the midst of it, so I don't want it to overwhelm you. I don't want it to discourage you, but I do want it to encourage you. I do want to say this is what he's doing, and you certainly want to be a part of it, and it's aiming to bring us into the obedience of Christ. We're going to have to talk about that next week in in more detail, but I need to say a little bit because if I don't, I have a feeling it's going to leave it maybe in the wrong way. I don't know how that sounds to you. I don't know if obedience to Christ sounds like a good thing. I, I know the way Satan works, and so I know that for some of you, those words sound oppressive. It sounds like, well, that kind of sounds weird. sounds like he's going to, you know, you know, it sounds kind of, you know, almost abusive. I don't know. What is that whole thing? No, the obedience of Christ is walking with Jesus. It, it, it's taking the yoke upon him, finding out his ways are good and beautiful. It's abiding in Christ, finding the only space that our life can have value and, 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 and do good. It is the best place in the world. It is joy unspeakable. It is life everlasting. It is wonder. It is glorious. It is good. It is what God has for you. And if I could only say it in just as simple as I can, you want this. Like, you absolutely want this place where you'd be like, I don't want Bay any longer. I don't want to do my own thing. That messes me up every time. Like if I could live life uh, in a way that would follow Jesus, that would be amazing. And if I could live life in a way that follows Jesus from the inside out, oh, that would be beautiful. I don't know if I've done good. I don't know if I've helped you understand it. I just want to tell you it is better than you could imagine. It is more beautiful. If you can see what Jesus is offering right now, there ought to be something that makes you like that little boy or girl sitting outside of a you know, bakery window just mouth salivating like, That's just, that sounds great. I mean, this is great. I mean, really, like you could you know, change me so that I begin to think right things and begin to want the right things and not want the wrong. I mean, we could do a battle there. Is that, is that possible? It is. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's the very, very good work he's doing. That's the thing he does, and I'm holding it before you where you would say, I want to be a part of that. Like, 
that's a war that I want to be a soldier fighting in. And that's what you're invited to. This is a spiritual war that you're not just meant to observe and be like, I'm so glad God's doing that. No, he's telling you, hey, join the battle. This is our, our weapons that we want to say, I want to be a soldier fighting this battle in me and others because I want this gloriously good thing that Jesus is doing. And it is good. It is good. Well, we'll end there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and we'll pick it up next week and talk about this. But I don't know where it's landed. I, I don't know where this is. And so I want to come back and say, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, it does need to begin there. You can't fix yourself. You can't hear me this morning and thinking, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to fix myself. You'll never be able to fix yourself. You can't do this without Jesus, and he's not asking you to. He's offering you life today. He's offering you forgiveness for your sins today. He's telling you that he can make you new in Christ today. And if you would believe upon him, you would be saved. And if that's where it needs to begin with you, then today we're inviting you as we take a moment to pray that you would ask him, save me. God, I need that. It's a good space for you to begin. But if you're his, he has taken you on as a personal project. He has said, now that you're mine, you're my workmanship, and I want to make you new. I, I, I want to make you so that good things can flow out of your life. I, I want to make you for good works that we can do this, and he's inviting you to it. He's doing it right now. Maybe you're already aware. I want to invite you at this moment to ask him for help. Capture some of those thoughts. Maybe they're running around in your head right now. Maybe they're in your head right now. It's like, well, it's kind of funny because my head's kind of going to some wrong places right now. Well, why don't you take a moment? Say, God, let's, let's, no, that's wrong. Ask him for truth. Maybe you already know the verse. Like, okay, God, this is what you said and you're right. God, may your word bring power into my life right now. May the lie be defeated and may hold fast to what you're saying. Would you just do that between you and the Lord and, and step towards it this week? Quietly, why don't you take a moment and do that? I'll do the same, and then we'll close and worship together in just a moment. God, thank you for the glorious work of salvation. 
Thank you for what it is to be forgiven, made new in Christ. Lord, for those here that are not yours, I pray that they would see it and feel it. And you said that it's a gift. It's a gift they need to receive. They need to believe you and be saved. God, I pray that. I pray that today they would be brand new in Christ. God, then those of us who are yours, you said we're now your workmanship. We're now your project. You are seeking to make us new, inside out, living to what you've already given us in many ways in Christ. I love the process. I love that what you're offering us is real. I'm so grateful it's not hypocrisy, that you don't want us just to pretend. You're not asking us just to look good, but you want to do a work that changes us into a new person by changing the way we think. I look on that and say, yes, please. Yes, Lord, let's do that. Let's take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's capture those wrong ideas that are infused by sin and Satan into my soul and our souls. Let's replace it with your truth. God, your word is powerful, sharp as a two-edged sword, doing a work deep inside of who we are. Lord, do that. Show us how. Help us to be those who do this consistently doing battle at the root of who we are, at the very thoughts that we're thinking, replacing lies with truth, and change us from the inside out in such a glorious way that we could prove that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I ask for that in me and in each of us now as we just thank you for who you are and what you do. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Boy, we're longing that God has met you in that. If you need prayer, if you don't know Jesus, we're here. Come up after the service. If you know Jesus, but you need someone to pray with you, hey, there's people around you. Grab them, but we're here as well. Come up and talk to us. We would love to be able to pray together, but we want to close in worship. So why don't you stand as we're going to make our way in worship and close. And we come to a moment that sometimes called a benediction, kind of like a blessing that's spoken over us. It's normal at this time that I kind of speak over you guys, Numbers chapter 6, and probably that will still most of the time be the way we do it. But I've kind of been having it on my, on my heart to give you the benedictions from other spaces of Scripture, which really are saying the same thing in different ways that would speak God's truth over our lives in, in a good and glorious way. And so this morning, I, I want to speak the benediction from Jude verses 24 and 25 over you, and we'll close in worship. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who is wise, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.